the following conversation about the 1962 Columbus Day storm and how to prepare for the next big event is a presentation of the Cowlitz Emergency Management and the Cowlitz Podcast Network. You'll hear that conversation next. Taking care of your mental health is just as important as your physical health. At Columbia Wellness, we offer behavior health care for all ages. From telehealth counseling to inpatient addiction care, we offer the level of support your mind needs. Don't wait to enjoy life again. Give us a call at 360-423-0203. At Columbia Wellness, your wellness is our passion. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Joseph Kovednik with the Cowlitz County Historical Museum, and I'm here with Larry Hembry with the Department of Emergency Services with Cowlitz County. And we're here to talk about emergency preparedness. And in particular, we're gonna be talking about major weather events like major windstorms. And for example, we are at the 60th anniversary this month of the Columbus Day storm, which occurred on October 12th, 1962. The Columbus Day storm of 1962 was the most powerful windstorm to strike the Pacific Northwest in the 20th century. It's often referred to as the big blow The intense and sudden onslaught of the wind forced many people to take shelter in their homes or basements. In the early hours of the storm, there was the weather services didn't think that it was going to be as big of a weather event. But as the day grew on, the winds became further and further intensified. The damages were in the area of $260 million in 1962 dollars all along the West Coast from Northern California up into uh, Southern Canada. Uh, that would translate into about $2,550,000,000 in damages in today's contemporary dollars. It hit um, Northern California, Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia. There was about 11 to 15 billion board feet of timber that was blown down, more than 300 serious injuries, 63 direct and indirect deaths from the storm, and 53,000 homes were damaged or destroyed. According to the October 15, 1962 Daily News, uh, people were encouraged to bring their chainsaws out and they could chop down any trees that were already split and fallen, blocking roads uh, that were in their neighborhood and use it as firewood. Remarkably though, three days after the storm, the PUD had power restored to 70% of the area, and most of the schools were open. In fact, all the schools in Longview and Kelso were open three days later. Yeah, I think it's uh, really interesting uh, looking back on that. I remember um, a little. Um, I, I remember my brother uh, and my dad uh, leaving the house to go check on the neighbors. And as they were going out the door, my dad specifically said to me, stay away from the windows. Of course, a young child, what do you do as soon as somebody tells you not to do something? I went to the window, and um, my mother removed me from that location rather abruptly. And moments later, we we heard uh, glass shattering in our bathroom. Debris from our neighbor's house had flown off and through the window into the bathroom. You talked about the chainsaws. Uh, my brother had been in the logging class. Uh, he had just graduated, and he had his chainsaw with him. And as my dad and he went out, they were cutting trees to help the neighbors get out of their houses, get you know, taking things 
um, off of the roofs of, of houses. Um, and then my brother said for the next week, he ran chainsaw up and down our street. So that's another thing about emergency preparedness is have the supplies, but have everything to keep your own personal supply chain going because it it's great to have equipment. I mean, I've gone out to go mow my lawn before and realized, oh my gosh, I don't have any gas in my little gas can in the garage. Uh, I thought it was full, but it wasn't. And uh, imagine having that happen when there's a major supply chain disruption, like a big storm where the gas stations may not be able to pump gas. They don't have power. There's no resupply. What you have on hand is what you got. A lot of people have the means to be able to, to stock up and to have that backup supply. Others don't, but that shouldn't preclude you from being prepared. And what I mean by that is one of the most important things uh, people can do is to sign up for an emergency alert. Uh, and you can do that by going to the Cowlitz County webpage and going to the Department of Emergency Management and sign up for the HyperReach uh, emergency alert system. Uh, what that is is where local law enforcement, fire service, and the National Weather Service will advise us of some type of a, an emergency and some specific directions or, or uh, ideas for people to follow. And then we are able to send out that message if people have signed up. Now, there's a lot of p ways that you can do that. Like I say, going to our website, you can call the Emergency Management Department at 360-577-3130 and sign up Monday through Friday generally. And then the second thing, and uh, maybe the most important that everybody can do, and that's to arrange with someone outside of our area. And that would be preferably somebody east of the Cascade Mountains and have them be your emergency contact. Give them the names and phone numbers of those who might contact them in the event of an emergency disaster or catastrophic event. What we're finding is people are arbitrarily picking people to be their emergency contact. And there's a lot of times we get phone calls where we just go boop and end the call because so much spam these days. And if the caller is not identified, then it's rare, rare that I will answer the phone right now, especially if I'm doing something. So it's, it's really important on my personal phone that I know who it is that's calling me or texting me. And that's the other thing is uh, texting versus phone calls. The way it was explained to me is if you took a garden hose and uh, just used it as, as normal, the garden hose works just fine. But if you take a garden hose and try and put the volume of water through it that you would in a fire hose, it's not going to work. And that's what happens when everybody gets on the phone and starts trying to call. Um, there's just not enough room within that hose for all those phone calls to go through. Using text messaging takes up much less room and allows for more of those to go through. Anything local is really going to be difficult to, to get through. So, Larry, what you're saying is we should find somebody who is outside of this immediate area that would be sort of that, that contact point 
so that if we can get a text message out to that person that says, I'm okay, um, you know, Susan's hurt her leg, but she's okay, give a status report, for example, to that person, then family members and friends or anybody who wants to communicate, they can talk to that person in Salt Lake City or wherever they're at or in Yakima. And then that person's sort of the, the command central for you because you're in the disaster zone and you've got maybe cell phone towers that are out. You've got tons of communication going in through this fire hose, through the garden hose. And so really, if you have that person that you've contacted and they know that they are your emergency contact, make sure, like you said, double check that they know that so that when they see that there's a major event happening, if you can just get that one message out, it could put a lot of relief on your family and friends that live outside the area that want to know if you're okay. That's absolutely correct. And the other piece to that is it's great to have that all set up and to work with your emergency contact, but then you have to share that with that significant group here locally. Um, They need to know that this is the person they need to contact in that event and what type of information do they need to give them, such as you pointed out, I'm okay or I'm hurt or I'm going to this location or I'm going to try to get here. Planning can be really complicated and we don't want that. We want simple. Larry, you talk about being prepared and and supplies and and things like that. What would be a a good resource for our listeners here as far as if they don't have any supplies right now on hand, what would be the basic kit that somebody would need? For example, I'm aware that you need about one gallon of water per person per day. So if I had a household of three, for three-day supply, I need about nine gallons of water is the minimum. Yeah, it's, it's really key that people think in terms of like this Swiss army knife, you know, it's, it's a knife by trade or by name, but it has multiple functions. Um, things like large leaf bags are really important. The garbage bags, uh, because they can be used for so many things. And the reason that you do this is because there's no way you're going to be able to prepare for everything. I mean, we do not recommend to everybody to go out and build a bomb shelter for each individual. If you had a, like a garbage bag for each person, um, you can use them for ponchos. You can use them to gather water. You can use them for waste. You can use them for shelter. Um, so there's, they're just, um, a tremendous versatile item. Duct tape really truly can be used for a lot of different things. Um, and something to have. You mentioned medications. Not everybody can do a full bottle of medication in an emergency uh, kit. But it's a great idea if you can do one or two pills um, per prescription and start building that um, backstock of medication. But you also mentioned rotation. And with medication especially, it's very important that you keep that rotated. So as you get a new supply, use the old supply, put new in, and maybe add one to it or two, whatever you might be able to do. Some physicians, some doctor's offices uh, understand the emergency preparedness uh, thought, and uh, they do allow uh, for an extra um, prescription to be filled in order to, to fill that backlog. 
there's water uh, protein, items with protein, very important. Um, items of comfort, uh, for especially for those with anxiety issues or uh, children. Uh, having something that soothes a person is very important to have in the kit, as well as actual life-saving items. The thing, the beauty of, of preparedness is you have time uh, as you are preparing. Um, you have time to think about what's important. Uh, you're, you have time to think about the what-ifs uh, for you and your circumstance. You know, and, and all of this, uh, uh, what we've talked about so far, are um, a lot of it has been around things that have, are not predictable or things that we're not you know, prepared for. Um, but there are things that we can prepare for. And with that preparedness um, over time, um, we in Cowlitz County, uh, through the law enforcement agencies and fire agencies throughout the county, have agreed upon using the Ready, Set, Go model um, for preparedness and evacuation. A lot of people get confused between what preparedness is and what ready is. Preparedness is what we've been talking about. It's, you know, shopping for these items. It's doing these plans. It's getting all of this stuff together. When you get to a notification that something's coming, like recently uh, in Cowlitz County, we were notified by the National Weather Service that there was going to be a fire weather warning. And so we went ahead and introduced to Cowlitz County uh, through our Facebook page uh, a ready stage of, of being uh, alerted to situational awareness, what's going on around you. You should tune into local news. You should pay attention if you see a, a column of smoke somewhere. Just be ready, basically. And then set uh, is going just a little bit more in-depth. Set is a decision point for people. Um, depending on where you live, depending on your living situation, do you have transportation? Do you have lots of transportation that you're going to need to move out? Uh, do you have large transportation, such as a, a travel trailer or um, a horse trailer or things of that nature? Do you have large animals that you're going to need to be moving? Set might be your go. And go is just what it says. Go is when emergency responders put folks in a go situation. That's, it's not something that they take lightly. They understand the disruption to everyday life when people are told go getting uh, prepared with uh, physical items in your kit is i think kind of a way to get mentally prepared too because you're in that mindset of of being ready for the unknown in a sense and um, mental uh, capacity mindset I think is also important because you don't want to feel defeated after a disaster happens. I think a lot of people get, um, you know, psychologically um, struck with some very heavy feelings about, oh my gosh, I, we lost power, my house is destroyed, what am I going to do with my life now? And if you have that mindset of, you know, it's just a house, um, things can be rebuilt, I still have my life, I still have my family with me, hopefully. Uh, Having that that mindset, I think, is also important, too, because like with fighting an illness, I think mindset plays a big role, too, or, or your attitude of 
how you handle an emergency, understanding too that initially there will be no emergency services likely. So you may see some emergency vehicles drive past your house and you're thinking, why aren't they gonna help me? Well, they have um, a priority issue that they're tending to and it's not that they're trying to ignore you, it's that the, the emergency services are trying to rally together at a rendezvous point where they can set up their, their field operations. They have to get that set up first before they can then help others. Once they're set up, you know, it could be a day or three days or more until they're ready to help. So that self-sufficiency and knowing that you're, you're kind of prepared and, and autonomous in a way, I think will help um, respond mentally to a disaster. Yeah, there's um, uh, an old phrase, uh, most good for the most people, that uh, uh, during the World Series earthquakes, um, Loma Prieta, um, the firefighters had to do what was called windshield surveys. They had to determine where the greatest amount of injury and damage was uh, where they could affect the most uh, life-saving e efforts. And psychologically, for many firefighters, that was one of the most difficult things they ever had to do in their, in their career, uh, was to drive past an individual that was obvious that they needed help in order to do the most good for the most people. In Washington State, that's going to mean Puget Sound. Uh, anything surrounding the Puget Sound area is going to get the majority of the attention. This isn't a, a knock or a fault or anything else. This is just a fact that the most good for the most people is going to mean resources will be deployed to the Puget Sound region first. After the Puget Sound region, they will start reaching out to other areas. If roadways are damaged or uh, they're unable to to drive to the uh, to the location, uh, there's a good chance that Cowlitz County, Lewis County, Wickiacum County, we're going to be rather low on the pecking order. The saving grace that we have is Interstate 5. We have the Columbia River. Uh, we are on a major uh, airport and uh, railway line that gives us some hope however being prepared within Cowlitz County to take care of ourselves for an extended period of time will be paramount to our success this has been a presentation of the Cowlitz Podcast Network and the Cowlitz Emergency Management a conversation with Larry Hembry from the Cowlitz Emergency Management and Joseph Gavednik from the Cowlitz Historical Museum <laughs>